Hi, I'm James Gardner, host of Your History, Your Story, a podcast for everybody who loves stories about interesting people and events told by those who uncovered them from within their own family trees. This, we hope, will inspire you to discover and celebrate your history and your story. Welcome to Your History, Your Story. As we enter the 2022 Christmas season, many of us will be decorating our homes, purchasing gifts, listening to our favorite holiday music, and settling our plans to visit and celebrate with friends and loved ones. However, as we busy ourselves with many activities of the season, we should pause to remember Christmases from long ago and reflect on how those memories and traditions from our childhood remain in our hearts and still bring us comfort and joy today. In this episode of Your History, Your Story, we will be speaking with friends from around the world will share their special childhood memories and Christmas traditions from their home countries. Our guests will be Katya Roman from Costa Rica, Baba Oliemi from Nigeria, Madi Azayas from Estonia, Dara Kelly from Ireland, and World War II veteran John Lucky Luckadoo, who grew up in Tennessee. Our host, James Gardner, will also share a story about his favorite childhood Christmas. We hope these stories will inspire you to reflect on your own Christmas memories and will bring warmth and happiness to you and your loved ones as you gather together to celebrate Christmas this year. I'd now like to welcome Katya Roman to our Christmas podcast. Welcome, Katya. Thank you for having me, James. Well, very glad to have you. I want to start off, Katya, by asking you about where you're from, Costa Rica. Tell us a little bit about your country. I am from the beautiful country of Costa Rica. Costa Rica is in Central America. Uh, We're between Panama and Nicaragua. Costa Rica is a very beautiful, peaceful country. We are one of the only countries in the world that has no army. Uh, And I believe 40% of our rainforest is uh, protected wildlife. So it is a very beautiful and and green place. Really? Now, whereabouts in Costa Rica did you live? So I am actually from a very small town that's called Quemado de Cajon, uh, de San Isidro General. So the translation to that would be burn drawer. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, and drawer will be actually the bigger town, and then my town will be like a part of it. So it is a very, very tiny town. Uh, we had one school. It was uh, split into two shifts, uh, first, second, and third grade, fourth, fifth, and sixth, half in the afternoon because we had like three classrooms. Um, We had uh, two stores. At the time where I lived there, which was a while (laughs) back, uh, you know, we had like one phone, which was like the public phone at the time. So it is a very isolated, smaller town, I think, compared to most people if they live in the capital or, you know, the provinces in Costa Rica. Great. So. Tell me something. When did you actually come to the United States, Katya? I came to the United States when I was 10. 10 years old. And and what brought you here? So my father came here a year before we did. Um, At the time, my father was a a landowner in Costa Rica. He owned coffee farms. And, you know, it was like one of those years where the coffee wasn't doing well. Uh, We had recently opened one of the food stores. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, he got to the point where he could no longer afford the loans and stuff. So we had family here. They said, you know what, come over, work for a year, 
pay your debts and then kind of go back. Once my father was here for a year, he decided that he wanted the younger kids, which was three of us, to come and learn to speak English. And because we were so young, that it should take us about a year. No pressure. <laughs> so he bought us so we could sp learn to speak English so that we would have more opportunities back home. At the time, you know, that was, what, 25 years ago. And I'm still here, so I'm not really sure what happened to that point. But uh, we ended up coming here. My sisters got married. And it just kind of evolved into our whole family being here. Do you go back to Costa Rica at all? I've been back a couple of times. I've been back, um, I want to say, four times so far. Uh, the last time we went, I was able to take my kids back with me, and that was really beautiful because I actually got to take them back to my hometown and actually experience the life because we were there for about 21 days, uh, which is a little bit different if you just go there as, you know, a tourist for a week or, you know, you're in a resort. Um, and I kind of got to see them, show them a little bit of how I grew up and kind of the life there, which is a lot more calm. How did that feel for you to have them see that? It felt great, I think, uh, just for them to kind of see, hey, you know, this is like the tree I used to climb or this is the school I used to go to or, uh, you know, the town that we have our house in. It's all my family or from my mom's side. So it was kind of like, that's your aunt and that's your cousin. And for them, it was a thing overwhelming at times because there's so much family to me. So, Katja, this is our Christmas podcast. So mm -hmm. I know you were pretty young when you came to the United States. You said 10 years old. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about the, in Costa Rica, typically, how, how do people celebrate Christmas? Christmas in Costa Rica is a big deal. So our school year doesn't run the way it does here. So I think it starts in like February and ends in like November. So really our summer or the kids' summer is Christmas time. So it's like um, the end of November, December, and January. So all of December, the kids are all from school. The whole month, I want to say, very few people work. It, it's kind of just like a festivity. Is uh, We're planning for the big event. Leading up to it, there's you know a national food that we eat. I think most countries in Central and South America eat is uh, tamales, which is corn masa, and it has meat, and it has vegetables in it, but it's wrapped in a banana leaf. Mm. Yes, and then it's cooked in water. So one of the things that we would do, at least one of my memories growing up, was that, you know, the uncles would go and cut down the banana leaves uh, and then the kids would hold them over <laughs> to where the fire was because you needed to um, put them over the fire to soften them up. Mm -hmm. And then some of our jobs would be to either carry the banana leaves to the fire. The other people would be to hold the banana leaf over the fire, which is very safe, by the way. And then the other one would be wiping down the banana leaf so they could be used to uh, wrap the tamal. Well, that sounds real. I'd like to try that sometime. Cutting the banana leaves or <laughs> no, <laughs> no, the tamal? Eating the finished result. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that I look back at it, I'm like, I don't think that stuff was that safe for our age group because there was, you know, a bunch of kids running around a fire and, you know, holding flammable stuff to it so <laughs> what could possibly go what wrong could possibly be wrong and that was totally normal that was just kind of like and it didn't matter how old you were like you were just part of the activity like one of the things i will say growing up in costa rica is like your age didn't stop you from doing things it was right. like if you were gonna go uh walk in the rainforest then you just went with the older cousins and they kind of make sure you didn't die you know it was never like hey my kids too you can't go it was like no you know the bigger cousins will take care of it we mostly survived. <laughs> they got it. What about the, as far as gift giving, 
was the it was Christmas Day, the day of gift giving, or was it the Epiphany? So for us is the 24th. And one of the differences between us and I think America is uh, we do not celebrate Santa Claus. We do baby Jesus. Mm, El Niñito Jesus, Mm -hmm. it will be. So growing up, we knew that El Niñito Jesus will bring us our gifts. So uh, there was at the time, you know, like Coca-Cola commercials that would have like Santa Claus on and stuff like that. And we kind of were aware of that. But to us, that was never who will bring our gifts. It will always be El Niñito Jesus. So the baby Jesus will come and bring our gifts. How did a baby do it? We didn't ask questions. Um, and we would kind of get the gifts the 24th. So we, uh, the, all our celebrations are done the 24th. Yeah, and what would happen typically on Christmas Day? We kind of just play with the toys at that point. You know, when we open up the gifts, some people open up the gifts the 24th, some people do the 25th. It depends. Uh, usually what would happen is because I come from a very large family and we had one of the bigger houses, mm-hmm. we were usually playing outside most of the time. They would send the kids to sing to the North Star with the older kids. And then we would just sing and walk. And, you know, in Costa Rica, you can kind of see all the stars. So it's, it's very different. But there's the specific, the North Star that you can see during Christmas time automatically. So that's like baby Jesus star to us. Uh, so we would just go and sing to it. And um, when we would get back, the gifts are there. Or depending if we were not necessarily with family, we would go to sleep and we woke up, the gifts were there. It really depended on kind of how the family played it out. But mostly I want to say we got one gift. Like that was it. You know, like you got one gift. It wasn't everybody gave you gift. Your parents did not give you gifts. It was definitely, you know, baby Jesus did it. Oh, that's really cool. And I'm thinking to myself, you've had the whole month off. Yeah. Makes it even better, right? Yeah. So you do. It's... (laughs) you really do get to enjoy it with family because that's your summer. So that's our relaxed time. I always make a joke and I'm like, if you go to my country, do not go and get surgery (laughs) during Christmas time or (laughs) December because you're going to have the B team because really it's not, even if you need like documents from the government, you're probably not going to get them in December. You know, like they really do have like a, a skeleton crew and, you know, really Christmas is christmas and that's it like most of the month we do celebrate in general like i think our elections is like a week of party like just parties so (laughs) yeah so it's just like oh you know this candidate bought me this and you know that's really any time they can celebrate or use a holiday we definitely use it what i like about that whole vacation thing in december is that here in the united states as we prepare for christmas and you know we're preparing the menu, we're preparing, we're getting gifts for people, there's office parties, there's, you're going to see this family, you're going to see these friends. And in the meantime, people are all working, usually before Christmas. And when all the craziness is going on, it doesn't let you really prepare for Christmas because you're frantically working, but are you really enjoying and relaxing but it sounds in Costa Rica at least people are already in that mode of sort of so I think it for me was a little bit different because we just lived in a smaller town you know I think maybe if you were in the capital then yes it was more you know still hectic up to a certain point Mm. but because we were in such a smaller town uh, we had you know it was mostly coffee plantations coffee farms so it wasn't that was kind of the work that people did so it was not you could stop and it wasn't the end of the world. 
However, I think if maybe you were a doctor or a policeman, you still did half those things. But for me and my family personally, we were able to relax more. That is great. Now, I want to ask you about your personal memories of Christmas. Do you have a, a couple memories that were special to you when you were a kid during Christmas? I have like perfect memory, which is terrifying. So I remember most of our Christmases. I think one of uh, my favorite Christmas was the one time that we went to sing to the North Star because it was my uncles were there and they kind of picked a different area of our house had a big front yard, you know, like a specific area where each family will have their kids gifts, like where the Niñito will bring it. And, um, we, ours was like by my mom's, she had this giant plant, like, I mean, giant, like, a, and that's where our gifts were. So they sent us all to sing, you know, there was a party before we ate, we, you know, we had arroz con pollo, we had chicharrones, you know, the good stuff, tamales. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of tamales, but everybody else loves it. And, you know, they send us up. So my house is like at the end of like a hill. So they send us up the hill to look at the stars and sing. And I, I'm sure the older cousins were in it. But the kids were just so excited. Uh, and then just like looking at the North Star and singing. And then by the time we got back, like, oh, Niñito came. You know, it was never, it, it's not like here where I feel like the kids are always trying to catch Santa Claus. <laughs> to us, that was never something like, oh, I want to catch Santa Claus in the act because you're not leaving him cookies. You're not, he's not sneaking in. It's just, baby Jesus is just bringing you gifts. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's never something that kind of crosses your mind when we were little. So, um. When we came back, the gifts were there, and I got this big doll. I mean, like, I mean, probably wasn't that big now that, that I'm older. But <laughs> it was probably, like, you know, like 21 inches, and she had this long, beautiful black hair. And, you know, that was a big gift, especially for, you know, somebody who may not be that well off. You know, like my parents, and right. we were, at the time, we were six kids. So my parents had to buy for six kids, you know, or maybe not the best salary. So we, we each, each of the daughters, because we're five daughters, what well, the time we were, now we're six, uh, got this big doll, and kind of each of them were kind of towards our personality, you know, like kind of like the way they were dressed and stuff. So like mine, whose name was Wendy, and that was such a amazing gift. Like I wish I had the doll so I could like pass it down to my daughter, mm, you know, but yeah. we don't. Thank you for sharing the story about that doll. It must have meant a lot to you. It did. It did. Um, I can truly say growing up in Costa Rica gave me some beautiful memories. And even though growing up in the United States, it's also very beautiful. I do find that kids don't have the le same level of freedom. Like I will go to school and then afterwards you just ran around with your cousins. Mm. You know, because everybody in the town knew each other. So, and then you just came home when it was dark. So those are things I feel like kids don't always get here because, you know, you come home from school, then you're cooped up. So it's a lot. I find that it's probably more stressful on them, you know, than they are. So I, I do think that childhood I had in Costa Rica is something I wouldn't give up for the world. I can see you uh, welling up a little bit there. <laughs> and I don't blame you because it sounds like you just had a really wonderful childhood, Katja. I, I did. I did. I was very lucky. And I'm not saying that there wasn't things that happened that were not good. But I was, I think, compared to other people that I know, I was very lucky that I had a lot of support. And I had, you know, a wonderful family. And, and they gave me great, beautiful memories. For my mother, 
giving us memories was a big deal. And I, I tried to do that with my kids. You know, when we're going to do the tree, I tried to bake cookies and make it a big deal. I I love Christmas. And I I think one of the reasons why I love it is because of that. And I really do try hard to make Christmas as special to my kids. But not so much when it comes to gifts, but more when it comes to like meaningful, buying them things, you know, that's specific to them. That's great. So you mentioned you you try to do a lot of the things to make uh Christmas nice, as you recall your own childhood, are there any specific things from your childhood that you bring to Christmas today? Are there any types of foods or traditions that were from your childhood that you try to repeat? So my family is very specific in, in kind of doing that. Like we will get together and make tamales. Now here we buy the banana leaf frozen. So it's a little bit easy. We don't have to go get it and like burn over the fire. And set it on we fire. We still have to wipe down the banana leaves. Like that's very specific. There's always like a way. Like my mom will like defrost them and then we come and somebody has to wipe them down. Now that I'm older, I'm part of the making process. Mm-hmm. So they'll make the big pot of, of uh, masa. And um, somebody usually puts, does the masa and puts it in the banana leaf and wraps it. Then we have to wrap it in aluminum foil here so it'll stay in in the thing Mm -hmm. because we can't use as many banana leaves as we would back home and then somebody else ties because you have to tie two together to boil them Mm -hmm. someone else is in charge of tying them somebody else is in charge of making them i try really hard to do a really bad job at every single one of those jobs every year (laughs) so that i just won't be invited to make them like i like going (laughs) but i don't necessarily like making them so i take my daughter and i'm like this is how you make them uh, and then for Christmas, we do make a big deal. We celebrate the 24th. Uh, we all get together. A lot more gifts. A lot, I will right. say my kids get a lot more gifts, maybe too many now that I'm looking back on stuff. Uh, we have a family party. All the daughters dress up. We just really enjoy dressing up. We take pictures. We look amazing, you know, for the Facebook and the Instagram. Perfect. Yeah. So... That's kind of what we do. You know, we, we just, the whole family gets together. Each family gives gifts one at a time. We take the time. Then the kids get to play. We go back upstairs, drink coffee, eat dessert, you know, the usual. But we make a big point to celebrate. Now that I'm married to my husband, who is an American, on the 25th, we go home probably like, I want to say two, three in the morning, four in the morning, depending on how long it took. We sleep for like three hours, maybe wake up all over again, and then go to his dad's for the opening of the gifts for the 25th. So we're kind of trying to mesh both cultures in many ways. So it's it's fun, but it's exhausting. It's really exhausting. Makes you think about looking up at the stars in Costa Rica again, huh? I do. I <laughs> You know, I do miss that. But when I came to the United States, I think it was like, I want to say November, my first year. Our, my first snowstorm, you know, like the first snow here is something that, I mean, I guess when you guys get to experience at a very young age, yeah. like I was 10. So I was looking at the news report and, and looking and waiting for snow, you know, and then when you say it was going to snow, it didn't snow. I was so upset. So when I finally got to experience snow, because that's a big deal, that's a big part of Christmas to the point that in Costa Rica, we are aware that snow is part of Christmas, you know, because mm-hmm. Santa Claus and reindeers, but it's snow, the North Pole. Snow, we don't even celebrate Santa Claus, but we are just kind of so hyper-focused on the snow that when I came to America and I got to experience my first Christmas with snow, that was so wonderful. Like, oh my God, like, 
how does it happen? Because it really, you know, to you guys, it's just, ugh, snow. Yeah. But to me at that point, it was really something wonderful. Well, Katya, this has been a wonderful conversation, listening to you share your memories about Costa Rica and telling us about your country and some of your old traditions and new traditions. And you've been a wonderful guest and you're a good friend. So I hope you have a very, you and your family have a very Merry Christmas. Thank you so much, James. God bless. I'd now like to welcome Baba Oliemi to our Christmas podcast. Welcome, Baba. Thank you, James. Good morning. Good morning. Well, you are from Nigeria, correct? That's correct. Yes. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your country, just some general things about Nigeria that would be good for us to know. Yeah, well, let me just start by saying that a lot of things that you might know or think you know about Nigeria is almost always wrong. Um, Because unless you've been there or you know somebody that's really, uh, we are intimately involved with somebody that's from there, um, it's it's one of those things that, well, let me just start by saying Nigeria is a country in West Africa, the um, largest country in terms of population in West Africa, population of about 200 million, that's a lot of Nigerians, Mm. in Mm. the space of Texas and California. Okay. So we have more than half of the population of this country in just two states. So yes, it is crowded. Um, Nigeria has um, 200 languages, distinct languages that you don't understand each other. So English is the what we call lingua franca, meaning the uh, the official language. So virtually everybody speaks English. Very well educated country because going up education is always free, and it's a very modern country. Yes, there is poverty. There is a wide gap between the rich and the poor. But when you're in Nigeria, it's like you're in any other Western country. Anything you want is there. Everything. It's just. I mean, you just look like a different location. So. Um, I still have my family there. My parents are there. Two of my siblings are there. And I try and go and visit at least once or twice a year. That's good that you're staying in touch with the family and staying connected so much. Do they ever come to visit you here in the United States? Yes, they do. Uh, my, my parents are getting up there. My dad turned 90 recently. My mom's 83. So traveling is not the easiest for them. But they were here this year. This um, um They spent six weeks with me this year. So they try once in a while, but it's always easier for us to maybe meet in England because they can do that seven-hour trip, and then I can also do the same, and then we meet. I have two siblings in England, so we usually try and meet over there instead of them coming all the way here. So how long have you been in the United States, Baba? 31 years. 31 years. Well, what are some of the traditions in Nigeria that are followed during the Christmas season? Right. So Nigeria is a, let's see, it, it's almost half and half Christian and Muslim. And the thing about Christmas in Nigeria is that everybody celebrates Christmas. Even the Muslims, it's such a big holiday in Nigeria. Both Christmas Day and Boxing Day, which is the 26th, the day after Christmas, are official holidays. But even Christmas Eve is technically a holiday because nobody shows up at work. So it's almost <laughs> like you get, you get three days off for Christmas. 
family gatherings will by far be like the biggest tradition. Everybody leaves where they are to go back to the village or the town they come from to celebrate with parents and grandparents. So, you know, as in this country, the, the day before Thanksgiving is like the biggest travel day in the country. Well, two days before Christmas in Nigeria is like the biggest travel day of the country because people are trying to get back home or get back with family just to spend Christmas with them. And of course, part of the, that celebration is food, a lot of food. That's when people get to come together. It's like a family reunion um, of, of different families. And, you know, of course, family reunions, you get to eat, you get to sit around the table and um, eat a lot, you know, Christmas lights, decorations are also big in Nigeria. That is a tradition. Virtually everybody has a Christmas tree. We do not have live trees because we don't have the balsam fir, fir trees that, that are common here or in the Western world. We don't have those. So virtually all Christmas trees are artificial in Nigeria. I mean, virtually all of them. Some are white, some are green, some are yellow. <laughs> as long as it looks like a tree and we put lights around it, you know, every house has that. And um, Christmas cards and Christmas, like I mentioned, Christmas gifts are also big. And with Nigeria, you know, we're trying to outdo each other. So sometimes you see Christmas cards as big as 24 inches in long and sometimes 36 inches long and huge Christmas cards because we got to be bigger. So so that's that's definitely a tradition. And when we come together, you know, it's it's the traditional Nigerian meals of, you know, lots of meats, um, beef, chicken, mutton, um, goat meat, Accompanied by um, starchy foods that they, they often call fufu or pounded yam uh, with jollof rice, which is like baked rice. Those are, those are the most common meals that we have during Christmas. Turkey is rarely served. Growing up, we never had it. But now, recently, I know that it's getting more and more common in Nigeria. Okay. And what about church? Do the families go to church on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or both? But it, 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 sometimes it's both. Most churches usually pick one of them to open Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Now, um, over the past few years, uh, I don't know, you might have heard in the news that the security situation got kind of worse with um, uh, this group called Boko Haram and a lot of um, kidnappings and stuff. As such, most people don't like to go out at night as we used to when we were young, when we were growing up, you can go at any time of the day and nobody worried about anything. So, but right now you don't really want to be going out late at night. So the Christmas day service is now um, the more common option. So you go in the morning and then you come back and, and feast with the rest of the family. That's great. Baba, what about the Oliemi family? When you were a little kid, do you have any specific memories that were really important for you that you yes. look back upon? Yes, uh, it, I grew up in a very large household, um, which looking back was so much fun. We, we are so many people living with us. So one of the things that we never really got growing up as children was individual Christmas gifts. Birthdays sometimes, but, but Christmas we never really got um, individual gifts because there were traditionally or usually 12 to 14 people that lived in our house altogether. But there was one particular year we got up to 17. So my, my parents had five children. There were five of us. But because they were relatively well off, 
and we had so many relatives that were not, many of them sent their children to come and live with us. Mm -hmm. It's a very common thing in Nigeria that, you know, you go and live with your richer uncle or aunt and they basically educate you and pay for and, and take care of you. So we had cousins, we had uncles, aunts, we had some non-relatives. So when you have a total of about 17 people in the house, getting individual gifts kind of get gets expensive. And and um, even, I don't even know how our parents fed us in those days, but they we were well taken care of and they tried to treat each one of us like their children. So uh, what we did was we got... Um, I would say group gifts. We got gifts for the for the whole family, gifts that we can all enjoy. And two of them I remember very, very fondly. And what the first one was when we got our first dog. And we named him Comic because he made everybody laugh. And we all we spoiled that child, that dog. We everybody tried to, you know shower love and affection on the dog and we i think we almost fed the dog to death because we were all each one of them of us sneaking him chicken or meat or something and <laughs> you know so um that year was such a wonderful christmas we just i just spent so much time with the dog while everybody else was trying to spend so much time with the dog and another year uh we got a ping pong table well one year we got a pool table then one year we got a ping pong table and that was also a lot of fun because you just play ping pong for hours. I mean, when you have to rotate between this many people and we just just had so much fun. So, um, and like I said, a lot of a lot of food, a lot of drinks, things that you don't normally get to eat and things like that, you know, um, get a lot of it during Christmas. Nigeria is not a society that's big on dessert. It's it just not that common, but during Christmas, the sweets, uh, the candy, the chocolate, the cakes, they come out. So that was another part of Christmas that we all looked forward to. That sounds wonderful. I, I, I noticed that when you were talking about comic, your dog, you got a little, a little emotional there for a second. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a special dog. Wow. Yeah. I bet. And well fed with all those people sneaking stuff under the table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one, one thing I do picture is 17 people lining up to use the bathroom on Christmas morning. Right. Exactly. Yes. We, um, the, the house was such that we had um, like a, the main house and then we had two other, they used to call them guest chalets in Nigeria or boys quarters. Or, so we had, bathrooms in each one of those places and some of the uncles will stay in one some of the aunts will stay in the other one and so there was always we're always running around and trying to find um, an empty bathroom <laughs> well wonderful memories because i think about you said there's so many people it's like built-in fun so that you had yes, this community gift. Exactly. so not yeah. only did you have a great game like you know ping pong or pool but you had a, a built-in group to play it with exactly yeah and of course, soccer, because everybody plays soccer in Nigeria. All you needed was a ball and a little bit of grass in front of the house. And yes, so that was also, but that, that was constant. Baba, do you still follow some of those traditions from Nigeria in your home in the United States now? Well, kind of, but not exactly. Because one of the reasons is that we're so much smaller now. Well, we only had um, two daughters and they're now adults. So they're, they're no longer in the house, so we're empty nesters. But when they were young, 
we tried. We tried to have as many people as possible come during the holidays. We always spend Christmas at home, at home, and we always invited so many, so many people. And of course, we did individual gifts for the children. I mean, there were only two of them. At most, maybe we might have three or four other people joining us, and we, uh, you know, we'll we'll take care of them. But even then, what, what one thing that we do that we still do till today is send gifts to our um, nieces and nephews and just try and make Christmas a little special for them. Doesn't matter whether they're in England or in Nigeria, you know, we've been blessed and we just feel encouraged to bless others too. And um, one of the things that we also did when we when, when we um, had our first child was every Christmas, we used to um, buy matching sweaters and we'll take a Christmas picture in the matching sweater. And we've done that for the last 27, 28 years. And sometimes I look back and I cringe. And when I look at the pictures, I cringe at how ugly some of those sweaters were. But um that was that was our tradition. And um, but but recently was my daughter got married three years ago. And now what that means is that she now has another set of parents that she needs to go and visit during the holidays. So we don't always get our Christmas anymore. So for instance, we're getting out for Thanksgiving this year. But not for Christmas, so the um, so that tradition has not really been we've not really been able to um, continue with, and also they are starting their own tradition, um, which is which is fine, which is exactly what they're supposed to do. So, but um, but yeah, we, we try we try and have the food, even the Nigerian food. I happen to be a good cook, <laughs> um, which is strange for the way that I grew up. I was never allowed in the kitchen, but I went away to England um, after. Um, Many years ago, I, I lived in England for five years. I, I was forced to, to cook. So I had to learn how to cook. I became a chef. So I do a lot of the cooking at home and I cook the Nigerian, traditional Nigerian meals too during the holidays and some other times too. And the girls really enjoy it. Um, so yeah, so we try and continue um, some of those traditions. So you're blending some new traditions in with the old and you're making them special. Do you speak on uh, FaceTime or Zoom uh, with your family in Nigeria on Christmas day? Yes, um, that's another thing that's big on Christmas day, phone calls. I feel bad for my parents because every single person that's ever lived with them calls them on Christmas day. So they just spend like almost like the whole day on the phone because everybody wants to say hi. So. So yes, FaceTime, um, which is not that common, but what we have, what we use the most in Nigeria is WhatsApp, which is like another video messaging app, which um, we all use for video calls and voice calls. My sisters and I, my uh, my four sisters, we all have a, a WhatsApp group. So we're always in communication, um, especially during the holidays, but really every almost every day that we're, we're, we're talking to each other and my parents. So... So yes, so we 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 do that. We um everybody wants to see what the Western world looks like. So we're always showing them videos of the table and the house and things like that. So yeah, we, it's fun. Well, your parents must be really terrific people because they've raised a really wonderful son. You're a good friend, yes. and we really appreciate this time for you to spend with us and share your Christmas memories of Nigeria. And, Wonderful memories. Yeah. So thank you very much, Baba. We appreciate your time, and I hope you have a very, very Merry Christmas to you and your large family Yes, all over the world. Amen. Thank you very much, James. I wish you, wish you the same, and um, 
I think it's going to be a cold one. So I will be heading to Florida in a few weeks <laughs> to try and escape the New Jersey cold weather and try and experience more of Nigeria weather in Florida. Thanks, Baba. Have a great day. You too. God bless. I'd like to now welcome Maria Zayas to our show. Welcome, Maria. Uh, thanks for having me, James. It's a pleasure. Well, it's a pleasure to speak with you. This is our Christmas podcast. And, yeah, it's uh, very exciting. Yes, yeah. and we're excited to hear about Estonia. You live there now. You lived in the United States for quite a while as well, mm -hmm. but you were born and raised in Estonia. Tell us a little bit about the country. Well, it's a very small country. And when I was born uh, in 1983, you know, I'm sorry for giving my age, but uh, during that time, Estonia was part of Soviet Union. And uh, it's also part of Baltics. So it's Northern Europe, beautiful country, especially because we're talking about Christmas. It's a beautiful country to visit during Christmas time. We have one of the best kept medieval centers in the world. So it's a magical time. We have a beautiful Christmas market there. So around 200,000 visitors, I would say, come to see it every year. Uh, so beautiful place, beautiful place to grow up and beautiful place to visit as well. What about the weather during the month of December? What's it like? <laughs> well, it varies now. It's been a little bit warmer, but it's usually very cold and snowy and dark. So all the things that you kind of need for a magical Christmas, because it's a season of lights. So all the lights can shine because it kind of works with the weather and the conditions. So what about traditions in, in Estonia as you approach the Christmas season? What kind of things happen there? Well, um, I think with Estonia, like there's a lot of traditions that have merged through like occupations and different things that Estonia has gone through. So I would say like there's three traditions that kind of merge together. One is the winter solstice, which is like an old, old tradition that Estonia had for you know hundreds of years. And then we had the Soviet time. And uh, I'm sorry, that's not really the tradition that was merged, but it's more like the, the Christian faith. So it's the winter solstice, Christmas, fa uh, Christian faith, and then also the consumerism type of situation where it's all about gifts and like um, abundance and giving. So those three things, I would say, kind of make up the uh, current Christmas in Estonia. Typically, is it is Christmas celebrated on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve? Which one is more uh, common to actually have people over and do the big celebration? It's more the Christmas Eve. Funny thing is that uh, we usually give gifts also at Christmas Eve. So the typical American Santa Claus story where Santa Claus comes from the chimney on Christmas Eve and delivers the gifts for the Christmas morning, it doesn't really work. So in Estonia, it's more like uh, the, the Santa Claus comes over on Christmas Eve with the gifts in the bag or he'll leave the bag behind the door or an elf will come and deliver the gifts. So it's, it's a little bit different timing. So we've tried to merge different things with our families because my husband is American and I've been there and I think like the influence is quite big. So we've merged a couple of things, but we definitely have a um, little bit of a celebration on Christmas Eve. And then we do the typical American pancakes and bacon and uh, American, you know, Christmas morning as well. 
So as far as church goes, do you do you go on mm-hmm. Christmas Eve or do you go Christmas Day? Uh, usually Christmas Eve. Uh, it kind of fits somewhere in there. Um, but, you know, with with the last years, there's been COVID and things. So we try to do something outside, you know, a little, little celebration. But yeah, usually it's Christmas Eve that people go to church. So tell us about your childhood in Estonia. You mentioned you were under Soviet rule when you were, I guess, up until mm-hmm. you were six years old, right? Yeah. I don't have a lot of memories from that time. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to my sister and she's 10 years older and our memories of Christmas are very different. But in matter of fact, uh, Christmas was not really celebrated during those years because it was considered a Christian holiday and religion as such was not really allowed. It was kind of frowned upon. So some of the Christmas traditions were intertwined with New Year celebration, which is called Narit. It's an Estonian tradition. So everything that was Christmas, which is Yulut, was kind of replaced with the word Narit, even like the Christmas uh, Santa Claus, which is in Estonian literal translation would be like old Christmas was uh, changed with like old Narit. So we still celebrated it, but it was a little bit different. And then once in 1991, when Estonia uh, gained its re-independence, then Christmas was kind of moved back to the December, you know, with the birth of Christ, going to church uh, and such, such as that. So my memories are more from that time, I would say, as I grew older <laughs> and have, you know, more, more awareness of things. Do you have some uh, specific memories that, uh, you know, whether they be gifts or people or little family traditions that your family had that you remember? When I was around seven years old, my, my father and mother split. So Christmas was something that was very special to us because she was a single mom at that point. So she really tried her best and made a lot of effort so that we would have something uh, to open and that that our um, that the food that we eat would be more plentiful. So there was a lot of joy, I would say, around that because like there were there was access, like uh, excess of things, you know, chocolates and cheese and, you know, things that we didn't daily every day have. So it was a very special, special time, I would say. I don't necessarily have uh, vivid memories of a specific gift, but just the, the oneness and the happiness and and feeling like it was a special time because of that. And she really, you know, made it special for us that we would... Um, have this moment together as a family. Very you know. nice. What about food? Do you remember specific meals that were made? Yes, uh, food is very important. And we have something very special called a blood sausage. So blood sausage is something that we all eat. I mean, most of us eat and enjoy. And with that, it would be like pork roast and then sauerkraut and lingonberry. So very typical. And of course, gingerbread cookies and you would decorate them. So yeah, food is a big, big part of the, the celebrations. Did you have a tree in your house growing up? Yes. Uh, when I was younger, we lived in a farm. That was more like the Soviet time, but we still would uh, bring Christmas tree in. And uh, it would be more closer to New Year's. Now I would say people generally bring Christmas trees uh, into their houses prior to Christmas, but not too early. I think I'm also Americanized, so I kind of want the Christmas to arrive earlier. So uh, sometimes I bring a tree in and it, it's not very nice by the time Christmas arrives because it's already dry. And uh, so I'm trying to see if I should get a fake tree so that I can have the feeling of Christmas early or just wait and be patient and bring my Christmas tree later. But yes, decorating the tree, even in the past, like when I was younger, that was something that we did as a family. 
and now with the kids, like it's, it's a joyous time. We enjoy it very much. I think a lot of families go through that big decision over the fake versus real tree. And we've we've gone through it in in our family to the point, I'm a big holdout for the real tree. You know, it's been kind of mixed within our family, but you know, when I think of it, a real tree can be mulched afterward, you know, really recycled. Yeah. Fake trees got to, you know, it's going to be around forever. (laughs) That's right. Yes. It is a dilemma, I, I do have to say. It's definitely a dilemma. Uh, the one thing that I wanted to say that uh, in Estonia also that, that I feel is a really beautiful tradition that we do is that uh, you usually go to cemeteries in Christmas time and you light candles on the gravesites of your loved ones. And then you just imagine like it's cold outside and you breathe and it's like there's air and then the snow is falling and it's crisp. And then all these candles are lit in the cemetery. It's like peaceful. And it's like a, it's a beautiful sight to experience. So that's like one of the traditions that I really appreciate, like as a community that we do. What a wonderful tradition because you're remembering those who came before you and remembering them fondly and also bringing the community together, right? Yeah, yeah. And then another tradition that I think is really fun is that, uh, you know, as uh, the uh, the song says that the uh, Santa Claus is making sure if you're naughty or nice. So in Estonia, we have something called Pekavik, which is an elf. Ironically, it literally means like the ball of your foot length. So Estonian, is, Estonian language is a very literal language. So everything kind of is very literal. So it's like the size of the ball of your foot, this person, Pekavik. So he comes during the Advent season. Uh, that leads up to Christmas. And then uh, you would put your slippers on a windowsill and then he would put little candies there. In the, you know, So in the morning when you wake up, you go and see if you were being nice or naughty. And then if there's candy there, like they're spying on you to see, to see how you're doing. So for me, you know, putting a slipper, not everybody has slippers. So I've kind of adapted the stocking idea. So we, we leave stuffing the stocking to very last minute. So we use the stocking as a way for the uh, the elves to come and spy and put little treats uh, in there for the morning for the kids to find. So I, I like the slipper idea, like the windowsill and slipper. I think that's really cute. And I rem- remember that from childhood. So I'm trying to kind of mix it together for our kids in some ways. I like that. It also gives mom a lot of leverage over the kids, <laughs> doesn't it? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> How to get them behave, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. A little manipulation there for sure. <laughs> Do they still in your in the village that you're in the town that you're in now? Do they do they still do the cemetery visits? Well, it's uh, there's there's cemeteries are like in Dailin, so yeah, it's it's everywhere. It's it's a very common tradition. Like people, if they can, they'll they'll go to cemeteries and put the candles in. Yeah. Are there any folk songs that are are popular at Christmas, or do they <laughs> hold on to more of the old traditional? I think it's 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 very uh, like globalized. So a lot of songs, you know, taken from English and, you know, we have Silent Night. It's just translated into Estonian. Um, Yeah, obviously, there are some Estonian songs as well, but uh, I'm not as familiar with them. I'm part of a choir and we're trying to kind of like bring that tradition back because the globalization is so kind of like wears you out a little bit. So you want to be original. So we're trying to introduce maybe those little nuggets from back in the day into the music culture and 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 such. So it's a beautiful thing. It definitely yeah. is. And you know, you and I attended the same church in New Jersey together. And you've got a beautiful voice, by the way. Thank you. And I'm sure <laughs> they're you. benefiting from that. 
Now, you said it, it gets dark a long time in the winter. So is it yeah. like what time would the sun go down in, say, mid to late December? Mm, well, late December, it's starting to get better. Around December 21st, that's when you start to breathe because the days are getting slowly longer. But I, it's funny because today I was asking because I was getting ready for this podcast and it's it seemed like it was so late and my husband has a home office at this point. So he came down for something downstairs in the kitchen and I go, hey, what time is it? Because it felt like he was finishing with his work, which is around, you know, 5, 530. And he goes, oh, it's just 330. And I'm like, how is that possible? Because it's just so dark outside. You feel like it's it's like time to put the kids to bed and, and such. But yeah, it's it goes dark very fast. Uh, I would say probably around 334-ish. It's already gloomy. It's like darker. Not a fun time. I don't I don't really like it. But today we got snow, which was excited because it's very important for the Christmas feeling. Nobody wants black Christmas. We all want white Christmas here. It's something that we all yearn. We want the snow. I think it's the same here in the United States, uh, particularly in the in the Northeast. In New Jersey, of course, as you know, we can have mild Christmases and then we can get socked with heavy snow. So it's kind of a, you know, you don't know what you're going to get any year, but what you, so it is, it is cold in Estonia during Christmas time, right? Yes. Usually, usually it is. We've had a surprisingly warm fall. So today was like the first cold day, I would say it snowed a little bit and it made everybody very excited because it helps to bear the darkness because this the white snow it just it reflects and it gives life and it gives you something to do because when it's cold you can go and you build a snowman and you can do winter sports or something like that but when it's just wet and dark you know it's not very fun to be outside and Estonians we we need to be outside like it's it's part of our DNA like uh, Raphael jokes about it my husband he's like oh, we're like little hobbits like the connection to the ground and the, the gardens and like it's very important to us <laughs> you know but there's one thing that I wanted to still mention uh, about Estonian tradition that I also really appreciate. And I, I think even more so that I'm getting older is, you know, usually in maybe it's the contrast with the American way is when you get a gift in, in America, you just accept your gift and you open it. But in Estonia, like you have to do something. You have to do something to get your gifts. Like you can either read a poem or do a little dance or like there's you know, like you have to perform to earn your gifts from Santa Claus. So I, th I think like that's such a good way to, you know, I guess like to teach kids a little bit, you know, like there's, there's, there's cost to this or also it's like, I, I felt like it was a good op opportunity to perform, you know, and then for some kids who are very shy, like it still gives them, you know, opportunity to do something that fits them. Uh, it can be a little stressful on some children that don't like performing at all, but I think it's fun that you have to kind of redeem you have to redeem your gift some way. I really like that. I think I'm going to implement that this year in our household. Yeah, I think it's fun because, you know, usually some of the people, you know, they'll tell a joke or they'll sing a silly song. I mean, it doesn't have to be anything serious, but uh, but I like it. I think it's it's a fun way to to give gifts. So you you grew up in Estonia, then you came to the United States and you were in the U.S. Mm -hmm. for how long, Nadia? Twelve years. 12 years and now you're back another what five or six years four, four and a half okay so mm -hmm. you mentioned a few things like what you we were doing with the kids uh, mm -hmm. some of the traditions and of course you've got an american husband yes um, and you've lived in both countries so are there things that you're doing now that that you haven't mentioned already that you're either adding or are you becoming uh 
combination of the two traditions or are you leaning towards one way or the other more? I really like the Christmas morning and I it just, it just feels special. You know, I think w- with the Santa Claus perspective, you know, with having the Christmas Eve, it's, it's a little bit challenging maybe to sell this idea to the kids. And I don't even know if it's necessary. I think it's like a magical time and the truth is very confusing and that's okay <laughs> because <laughs> You know, we we emphasize the giving part and, and I really appreciate the Christmas morning because it feels like it's intimate. It's not fancy because Christmas Eve celebration for us, it's fancy. Like you usually you dress up, you just put your best on and then you you're elegant. It's you know, it's a beautiful like uh, sit down dinner usually with, you know, big feast. So the the morning aspect, I really appreciate. And I like the Christmas pajama idea that I really feel is very endearing, you know, to go to bed with your Christmas pajamas and you wake up, you know, kind of look the same. Like, it's like that unity feel. I think that's like the biggest thing, I would say, from the American perspective that I really, really appreciate. You know, when I think about Estonia, I'm thinking to myself, Santa's got a lot shorter trip (laughs) to Estonia, right, than to New Jersey? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, during that Christmas market that they have in the medieval, beautiful old town, Dailin, um, they also have a Santa Claus house. And a lot of the times, very often, they have like this little fenced up area. There's reindeers are in there. So it's a very magical place. You can take your kids there and see the Santa Claus. We call him Yolovana, which means like old Christmas, Yolovana. And then Bohiabodar, which is reindeer, so you can you can meet them. But yeah, they live very close by. Well, yeah, very magic time, magical time, and a magical place, Estonia. And I want to thank you, yeah. Maria, for for spending this time with us, for uh, telling us about your traditions, your personal memories, and uh, I think it's just fascinating. And I hope that you and Raf and the kids have a really fantastic Christmas. And that uh, maybe you'll get even more snow that you can enjoy and let the moonlight (laughs) bounce off it and give you some light. That's right. I hope I'm I'm taking all the snow that you're sending our way. I I appreciate it. And it's going to be magical one way or another. And hopefully maybe one year you and uh, Kelly can come and enjoy this beautiful Christmas market because I know you guys are into these kind of things. So it'll be a lovely thing to experience. I'm sure it would be. And the medieval village castle sounds absolutely fantastic. It is. Thanks again, Maria. Sure. Absolutely. Thanks, James. Okay. God bless. Have a good one. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I'd like to now welcome Dara Kelly to our Christmas podcast. Welcome, Dara. Thank you, James. Welcome to Ireland, virtually. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Everything's virtual now, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I want to tell our listeners that you are my cousin. And uh, we are actually second cousins. Our grandfathers were brothers. We've actually been to Ireland to visit you, and you've been here to the United States to visit us. So just really glad to be speaking with you again, particularly as we approach Christmas. It's always lovely talking to you and seeing you and spending time with you. So, Dara, tell us a little bit about where in Ireland you're from. I'm originally from Dublin, the south side of Dublin. Um, but I don't I live in County Kildare now, which is in a little town called Monaster Evan. 
and I'm living here for, oh my God, nearly 30 years. And it's a little town that only has about four and a half thousand population. Everybody knows everybody. And if they don't know you, they're related to you. <laughs> and we're probably one, probably second family in this little estate I live in that is not from the town. Really? Yeah. It's an estate full of just all local people. That's kind of cool. And as we get near to Christmas, what starts happening in Ireland around Christmas time? What are some of the traditions that occur as we get closer to December 25th? Now, around this time of year, you'll start seeing the little towns organizing for Santa to come to visit the town, for the town lights to be switched on, for the crib to go up in the in the local church. Sorry, I should say before I move on, I'm Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about church, I'm talking about the Catholic churches over here, not all the other ones. But the local churches would all have, um, as I said, the cribs going in and they would maybe have a little musical singing going on in the churches for that. But then otherwise, then you'll have, as I said, the Christmas lights going on in the town and Santa will probably come to visit and there'll be mulled wine and everyone goes down just to see the lights going on, the tree going up and just all have a chat and catch up with everybody. Now, the Santa Claus that you have in Ireland... How does that Santa compare to the rather round guy with a white beard and a red suit here in the United States? Is he the same as that or does he look He's different? the same guy. He sure is. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Because I know in, in other parts of the world, sometimes St. Nicholas or Father Christmas or Père Noel may look a little different sometimes. Maybe look more like a bishop or maybe a little thinner. But so it's mm -hmm. the same as the United States then. Yeah, we have the same big guy. Is Christmas typically celebrated in Ireland? Uh, I should say, do more activities occur on the 25th of December or do they happen on Christmas Eve? Christmas Eve is all just is the religious aspect of, of Christmas for us. Where When I was growing up, it would have been more you'd go to, to Mass, to Midnight Mass. So you picture maybe a little seven-year-old having to stay up till 12 o'clock and go to Mass and maybe not being home till one in the morning to want to be up early then for Santa coming. So thank God in the last couple of years, they have changed that in the last I don't know, 10, 20 years where it's maybe nine o'clock at night is midnight mass instead of midnight. Much better, uh, much better for the kids. Much huh? better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really the only, you know, it's all just about maybe preparing the, the turkey or the, the meat or whatever it is and all your vegetables, maybe the night before, but otherwise, Christmas Eve is all just just about going to mass and getting ready for the next day. Did you or do you do the kids typically open gifts when they get back from mass or is it in the next morning? Some families have a tradition maybe where you open allow them to open one present on Christmas Eve um, and otherwise everything's kept till Christmas morning. Yes. And do businesses uh, often shut down between Christmas and New Year's? Now in Ireland, you, shops will probably close early, maybe like four or five o'clock in the evening on Christmas Eve, but then, and they'll be closed Christmas day. And then they'll open back up Stevens's day. Um, box, I don't know, boxing day. I don't know what you guys call the day after Christmas day. Well, really usually just December 26th. <laughs> okay. Well, in, in England, they call it boxing day in Ireland. We call it St. Stevens's day. Yeah. I mean, I'm aware it is. I think it was called boxing day, but I don't think it, it's not really celebrated here that I know of anyway. But um, it's not that we celebrate anything specific, but we do. It's, it's, it's one of our bank holidays. 
Yeah. I heard a story, I don't know if this is true, that the church would have a box for the poor. And during the uh, Christmas season, people would put in coins and things for the poor at the church. And then the day after Christmas, they would open the box and distribute you know, either food that was purchased with the money or distribute money to the poor. Did you ever hear that legend? It's not something that particularly jumps out at me, but I mean, it's something that's done all, all the time now. I mean, if you go to mass on a Sunday here in Ireland, you're, there's, there's, there's a plate goes around that you put money in <laughs> every week. So it's all year round. <laughs> so, all right. So let's think about it. So you got a lot of busyness, a lot of activity. Now, what about weather? Tell us about the weather in Ireland in December. What's it like? It can vary every year. You could wake up Christmas morning and you could have a white Christmas. And it could be 10 years before you'd see that again. I have lived here in Monaster Evan for nearly 30 years and I've only seen a white Christmas twice. So the general Christmas would be cold and I'll be raining or it will be just um, dull and miserable, to be honest. <laughs> because it's so, as you know, Ireland weather is very different to, you know, you guys have humidity. We we just have cold when it's it's when it's, and it's damp kind of feel to it in winter, you know? What you get in return, though, is the most brilliant green uh, atmosphere when you go to Ireland. People used to say to me, when you go to Ireland, you're not going to believe how green it is. I thought, yeah, I've heard that before. When we flew to Ireland for the first time back in 1985, and I looked down as we were about to land, and I said, they're right. It is absolutely brilliantly It green. is. And there's so many different colors of green. It's, it's quite unusual. Well, I hope you get a little dusting anyway, and it's not too much that you don't have to be out there shoveling the drive. Yeah, I'd love a little dusting of it. I love <laughs> snow, and I love it at Christmas. It just brings that extra atmosphere. So it sounds like in Ireland, you get people are getting excited for the season, and people are bustling around, much like it is in the U.S. But I'm going to ask you to turn back the clock, to go back to when you were a little girl, and think about Christmas in your house when you were growing up. What are some of the traditions that were happening when you were a, a little kid? Oh, God. I mean, once November hit, Mammy had these two ginormous tubs. I don't even know how to explain them. But these guys were taken out. And she would have spent probably two or three months buying her, her fruit, her flour, her whatever else she needed to make her Christmas puddings and her Christmas cakes. And after dinner of an evening, all this would be taken out, laid on the table, and these tubs were filled with the fruit. So bags and bags of sultanas and raisins and maybe mixed peel and nuts and you name it. These were emptied into the tub. Then whiskey would be poured over them and they would be left for a couple of days to brew with the whiskey on them to let the whiskey absorb into all the fruit. And then a couple of days later, then she'd start mixing the actual cake mix and that had to be mixed into this fruit. Now, I don't know, you, you wouldn't have an arm, you wouldn't be able to lift your arm by the time you were finished. Because <laughs> I'm talking, I mean, these this tub was, it was probably three foot by two foot wide. And you'd have to stir the mixture into all this fruit. So imagine the weight of all this fruit and you're trying to stir the mixture in. So we all had to take turns of stirring this. And then she'd have all of our tins lined out. There could be 20 cake tins on the table because she made... Christmas cakes for everybody. I don't think I had an aunt or uncle who made their own Christmas cakes because they knew Mammy was going to make it for them. 
So th- they got filled then and she'd over a day or two cook, bake all those cakes. And then once the cakes were baked, then it would be start off the same process again to do the Christmas puddings. So we always, that was a, that was a big deal. They oh. had to be got ready so that she'd have them all to be leave them for a couple of weeks before she'd have to marzipan them and ice them for everybody. Well, you know what? I recall that we received one of those fruitcakes. Did you? <laughs> yes. It made its way across the Atlantic Ocean to our household, and it was delicious. And I, I think, did I remember hearing that your mother said that they could keep for up to like 25 years or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Well, as you know, Mom passed a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I'm not a big lover of Christmas puddings. And I had a Christmas pudding from her that was still in the press from the Christmas before that she died. And I actually gave it to my brother the Christmas then after she died. So we'd have a Christmas pudding that that year. Oh, great. And seemingly he hasn't eaten it. He still has it as well. He wouldn't eat it. (laughs) I keep saying it's going to go off, Damien. You have to eat it sometime. (laughs) So the, the, the Christmas puddings was a big part of your preparation. What what well, else you was see, going it was on? The preparation because we were going to be going visiting the relatives then, because once the Christmas cakes were ready and she had iced them and they were all decorated and she bought all her presents, as soon as the beginning of probably December came, you were going to visit the different relatives then to drop off the cake and the presents, because she'd probably maybe get two or three relatives in each each week because it was a. It was a three or four hour visit. You know what I mean? You'd have to sit down at the kitchen table and have the chat and the cup of tea and, you know. So it wasn't like just I'll drop the cake off to to Auntie May or to to uh, Auntie Kathleen. It was it was it was an outing. (laughs) It was you were you were it was going not just to deliver the fruitcake, but to actually these are people your mama, your mom used to really take family seriously she she loved to communicate with family your mom and dad used to call us on christmas you still do now the family even after she passed you still call us on christmas which is wonderful but family was so important to your to your mom very much so so as you got closer to christmas what would happen well there was always the trip into town to go visit santa and it was the shop isn't there any longer well the building's there but not the shop it was a shop called switzer's and they had a gorgeous window displays all the way around. And you could be maybe queuing for an hour to go visit Santa. But they had all the the windows displays moved. So we didn't jo- we didn't ever mind standing for an hour out in the cold because we were enjoying the watching the other people going around. The lights were on the, in, because Dublin City is quite pretty at Christmas with all the Christmas lights on. So um we'd queue and we'd go for that. That was always a memorable day. And then obviously the Christmas tree always had to be put up as well. And here in Ireland, something, I don't think any other country does it, but we have a thing called a Christmas toy show. Okay. So another way you have, you know, the way you have your chat shows. I'm trying to think of one of your most popular chat show guys in the evening. Oh, talk show. Who would you have? Talk show host. Yeah. Like uh, the way they have maybe two or three people come on and do interviews. Yep. Mm -hmm. So we have a program here called the Late Late Show with run similarly to what you're talking about but the presenter of that late late show does the the late late toy show once a year so they work in conjunction with the big local toy stores i suppose like toys r us or whatever you yours is toys r us isn't it Mm -hmm. over here ours is smith's and i can't remember ken blacks so they literally fill the studio with toys 
they bring small children in who play with the toys, who have maybe got the toys, certain toys a couple of weeks previous. And these children then will talk about the toys they had and the experience they had with the toys and what toys they liked and stuff like that. And then they'll have a section about children's books and they'll talk about the books they read. And and then they'll bring on more children to try like the trikes and the bikes that are out this year. But it's just a fun family entertainment. There's music on it and there's normally some big surprise on it where, um, I don't know, they might bring big a celebrity on to meet some child who's always wanted to meet that celebrity and give them a present or invite them to a concert or invite them to a football match or things like that. It's just a nice family thing, but it's huge in Ireland. So, I mean, we have a population of about five and a half million in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And I would say two and a half to three million people watch the Late Late Toy Show. I don't know. I don't find it as enjoyable as I did growing up, obviously. I still, but I kept it as a tradition that I still do it with my children. And it's obviously been commercialized a lot more than when I grew up. So when I grew up, the fire would be light and we'd sit down, we'd have a cup of tea, maybe a pack of crisps or biscuits or whatever it would be. And we'd watch it and we loved it. And then you went to bed and you got to stay up late. The old days are always seem better to us, don't we, as we get older? You're right. They, you know, it, it, we always say simpler times. I don't know if they really were simpler, but they seemed to us anyway, didn't I? I suppose that's every generation. Cause I know, obviously I, I would see my children are, well, they're nearly adults now. They're 20 and 21. And obviously I probably have bought them a lot more presents for Christmas than then my mom would have been able, mom and dad would have been able to buy us, you know, because back in the 70s and 80s when I was small, you know, things were, were harder in Ireland. But then again, she would have thought she was buying us a lot more than she got because she'd talk about how she was delighted if she woke up and there was an orange in her in her Christmas stocking, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now you lit when you were And her Christmas stocking was a, a pair of pantyhose hanging from the <laughs> hanging from the side of the fireplace, you know? <laughs> They made it work. Well, we call them tights over here. I was trying to make sure I got the right word for you. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Oh, yeah. wow. Now, Dara, I visited you and your family back in 1985, as I mentioned, and I remember your house, and it was in Dundrum, right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that well, and I remember your grandfather lived with you back then. He did. He did. So just take me through, say, Christmas Eve. What would happen right through Christmas Day. Well, Christmas Eve, you know, everything would be, we'd all get ready to go to Mass. We'd go to Mass. Before we would have gone to Mass, Mom probably would have peeled the carrots and put the Brussels sprouts in a pot and put the ham in a pot for to, to steep overnight. The turkey would be ready for to go into the oven the next morning. All the veg, everything would be ready. She prepared the night before. Then we'd get ready to go to midnight Mass. Granda would I have to be honest, my Nana lived with us too, but I have, because I was seven when she died, I don't have great memories of right. her, I would say, traditionally wise. Yeah. Um, but uh, Granda, we'd all come to Mass. Uncle Jimmy, which was my Granda's brother, mm -hmm. he would come and stay as well. And we'd all go to Mass. And then the next morning, probably because I was the youngest, because there's a bit of an age gap between myself and my brother and sister, I'd be first up, obviously. Of course. Uh, no, sorry, Mom was always first up. She'd go down at maybe six in the morning just to turn the turkey on in the oven and to get the firelight into the house be nice and warm. Because when I would have been small, we probably wouldn't even have radiators for heating in the house. Do you know what I mean? 
So you had to light the fire to try to, to heat the house up. So she'd have, she'd make the breakfast. Now we weren't allowed up in the presence that we had our breakfast. But once we had our breakfast then, we were allowed to go to open all the presents. And um, once the presents were open, then it was about a matter of getting ready then for for the Christmas dinner a couple of hours later and helping mommy do whatever needed to be done and making sure the dog got brought for a walk and making sure Granda got his cup of tea or whatever he wanted and to give her a bit of freedom and play with our toys then or whatever we got uh, and go maybe call it to friends to see what they got before we'd have to go home and help again. Yeah. So you would be playing with your toys the rest of the afternoon. Were there people in and out during the day or was it the central Yes, Auntie family? Carmel, Auntie Betty, they'd all come to see Grandad. So I think, I don't know what they... They must have had a later dinner because we already ha always had our dinner around one o'clock where I think Auntie Carmel and Auntie Betty had like afternoon Uncle Seamus had later dinners because they'd be over anytime from about 11 o'clock in the morning. There would be just an influx of Auntie Carmel visiting, Auntie Betty visiting, Uncle Seamus and Auntie Rose maybe popping up, Betty from down the road coming up, you know, <laughs> everyone would just pop in. But they all knew that to be kind of gone by one o'clock. Now, a lot of families, people would visit and they would obviously have a, have a drink, maybe a glass of wine or a bottle of champagne. We wouldn't have grown up that way. Our house was very much a teetotal kind of house. My mom didn't drink. My dad didn't drink. My granddad didn't drink. So they wouldn't really have pulled out. The cup of tea would have been made or a cup of coffee, do you know? Yeah. So do you have any any particularly interesting gifts that you got that you like you remember as a little kid? Wow, I love that. I did have a dollhouse, which I loved very, very much. But outside of the dollhouse, I suppose one of my other things that I always loved, and even though she's only little, I kept her. Oh, my goodness. You are now for those of the you, you can't see this, but I can see it. Dara is holding up this little doll. It's blonde and it's got like a, a little dress on. And it's made out of plastic. Well, Mommy had to make the dress because she was she she's actually kind of naked without it. <laughs> So my mom made this little dress out of a piece of material just to cover up her bits. <laughs> she makes noise. So I hope you can hear. Yep. Oh she my. says, carry me on portable. Carry me on portable. So. Hang on. Are you silly too? And then she does another one where she says, I'm pretty tricky. So I presume if you Google, I'm pretty tricky. I think you might find her, what she really looks like. <laughs> but I have her and I am 50 years of age and I got her when I was only maybe four or five. So I still have her. Oh, that is great. So really, you can easily transport yourself back to another time and the feeling that you had when you got that toy and what it meant to you. I mean, I have some of those around my house and I, they still bring back memories of, of Christmases that were very special. See, your mother had an orange and you have that little doll. Mm. You know, they weren't really big, expensive items, but boy, do you remember them, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And cherish them. Dara, are there any things specific to what you used to do as a kid that you've brought to your house today? Oh, yeah. Well, I was always, because I was the youngest, I was always allowed to put the, the fairy on the top of the tree. So, or the angel, sorry, not the, the angel. Um, so, of course, once I had my own house, I, always, I made sure I had an angel for the top of my tree. And then we always had a crib at home and I was allowed to put baby Jesus in the crib. Mm. Then after coming home from midnight mass, I was allowed to put baby Jesus in the crib. So 
I always make sure I have a crib. I was one of the first things I bought. And then the kids, because I have two children, they take turns. Well, maybe not now, but they took turns when they were smaller <laughs> of whose turn it was to put the angel on the tree. And my son had the best memory ever because every year it would become like, oh, God, whose turn is it to put the angel <laughs> on the tree? And he'd remember whose turn it oh, was every time. Yeah. <laughs> so we still do that. And we still all meet. I mean, even though I live in, in Monastery Evan, my dad lives in Wexford. We'll go down to him Christmas morning. We'll have Christmas dinner with him. And between my sister, myself and dad, we'll, we'll, we'll do everything. You know, we keep a lot of the traditions, to be honest. I, I don't make a Christmas cake or Christmas pudding. I probably would if I liked them, but I actually don't like them. So I just don't bother <laughs> making them. <laughs> That's funny because I don't, I don't, I love fruitcake. I absolutely love fruitcake. And people make a joke of it over here. A lot of people say it's like that gift that nobody wants to get and you, you pass it on to somebody else. And I absolutely love it with a cup of tea. It's the best. Yeah. So make one and send it to me. Do you know what one I'll make you? I'll make you, a, Mama used to do a boiled fruit cake where you boil the fruit, but when you boil the fruit, you boil it in Guinness. Oh, and that sounds really good. <laughs> and then you mix it with the cake mixture. So yeah, I'll make you one of them ones. <laughs> well, that is fantastic. So do you have plans for this Christmas? Yeah, so the kids and I are going up so to Dublin Zoo. There's lights on in the zoo at night. So we're going for that for a walk the week before Christmas. So and then on Christmas morning, we'll get up like we always do. And we'll open all our presents and we'll sit and chill and have breakfast and, and yap. And then we call to a friend's house and then we drive down to Wexford to my dad. My sisters, Jennifer, will be staying with dad. So we'll have Christmas dinner with them. Then we'll leave after a couple of hours and we'll head up back up. We'll head up to Dublin to go visit Clyde's family. And normally then we have a couple of drinks there and play cards for the night until we head home. Oh, I like that. That sounds like yeah. a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah. Dara, this has been, a, it's just really been enjoyable speaking with you. Maybe you'll get some snow this year, actually. I'll call you if we get some. Could you? Just to, just to show you. <laughs> and I'll send you some of ours if we get any. Please, would love some. <laughs> Thank you, Dara. And uh, really, God bless. And I hope you have a very, very... Merry Christmas this year. You too, James. And lovely talking to you as always. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks, sweetheart. Bye. I'd now like to welcome John Lucky Luckadoo to our special Christmas podcast. Welcome, Lucky. Thank you, Jim. Great. Lucky, I want to ask you about where you're from. Where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born and raised on Missionary Ridge in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And what was it like there when you were a kid? Was it very mountainy or, or what was it like? My memories of the climate there are not very pleasant. It was overcast. It was foggy and cloudy. Uh, much of the time we had rain and and uh, it was depressing upon me as a child. And I thought, uh, gee whiz, uh, uh, I'd like to see someplace with sunshine. And if I ever get out of here, I don't intend to come back. And little <laughs> did I know that I would end up flying in even worse weather in England. 
in combat. That's right. You uh, you had quite the experience and adventure serving our country during World War II. And we actually have your story on another one of our podcasts, which I encourage people to listen to. But when you were a kid, what do you remember about your area, like where you lived? Was it rural? What was it like? No, it was urban. We lived uh, not actually in the city, but in the suburbs. And uh, Missionary Ridge was largely built out uh, from residential properties. It was, as you may or may not know, a very important site for a uh, war uh, or a battle during the Civil War. Right. And right outside my grade school window was this large park on the top of, of the ridge that... Um, contained all of these statues, larger than life-size, cannons and cannonballs and large tablets that explain the battle. And also one of the unusual things that uh, we played on was a five-story steel observation tower that General Bragg had, had built so that he could observe what was going on, on down in the valley from uh, the Union forces, but it didn't stand him in very good stead because he certainly had the high ground. And I learned many years later that by all rights, uh, the Confederates sh should have been able to hold that position and uh, not be overrun by Grant, who was in charge of the army at that point and amassed some 80,000 troops down below the ridge and he surged up the side of it and actually just chased all the Confederate soldiers completely away. Wow. So you're you're from a really historic area then in Tennessee. It, it was. Yeah. What do you remember about the town that you were in at Christmas time? What do you remember it looking like? As many towns in the South did, they decorated the downtown areas with uh, lights and banners and and um, we had, they, they had a Christmas parade, usually if the weather permitted it. And um, I, I remember that, that Christmas was a pretty festive time. We didn't normally have a white Christmas. Uh, it doesn't snow that frequently in that part of Tennessee as a rule. But then weather's so unpredictable, you never know uh, what it's going to be like in any place. <laughs> Lucky, if I remember from our previous interview, when we talked about your war experiences, you were born in 1922. Is that correct? That is correct. March 16th. March 16th. So when we talk about your memories as a child, we're talking about maybe the maybe the late 20s or into the 1930s. We're talking about the Great Depression time, aren't we? We certainly are. My family felt that probably more keenly than most families because my father's business was as an independent stockbroker. And so our assets or our net worth, I guess, was almost totally represented in, in securities. And when the market crashed in October of 1929, I was seven years old. And I recall that the good life that we had enjoyed 
in my youth was uh, severely impacted by the um, loss of our net worth, as it were. And um, my father lost a lot of friends who just couldn't withstand the, uh, the pressure of being wiped out financially. And um, many of them committed suicide. That's awful. Yeah, so many people are affected. I mean, you have one way of life, and then next thing you know, everything's all different. It had an immediate effect on Christmas of 29. Right away then. Uh, my dad raised uh, show horses, Arabian show horses. And he had a stable of about five of them, about a mile from our home there on the ridge. And of course, those were gone. My mother had a second car, and uh, that was gone. My brother was in private school, and he was taken out because uh, we couldn't afford the tuition. And so there were immediate, um, we lost our ponies, and we lost our small horses that my older brother and sister rode. So um, we were we were aware and couldn't escape it. Uh, I had a younger brother that was two years younger than I, and and he doesn't remember much about it at all, or didn't. Mm. He's no longer with us, but um, the older children uh, probably felt it more keenly than the younger two, uh, myself and my younger brother. Uh, that would certainly be the case, but I'm thinking about when you did celebrate Christmas, even during those tough times, do you remember what you actually did? To celebrate? Well, we we had uh, festivities and activities uh, connected with our school that um, were very, very much a part of that celebration. Of course, we got a Christmas vacation and, uh, and were at home. But um, the first Christmas in 1929, um, I remember was was pretty stark and and dismal because um, we didn't have all of the festivities, we didn't have the parties, we didn't have the gifts, uh, and it was um, very apparent that uh, the world had been uh, very uh, pointedly changed with that event. Do you remember getting any little gifts at all during that time? Well, I remember that uh, one of the things I um, wanted in, and uh asked Santa Claus for was a bicycle. Aww. And instead of getting a new bicycle, uh, I got one that had been rebuilt that was, uh, I'm sure, a lot uh, less expensive than a new Wright Flyer, which was one of or a Schwinn coaster brake uh, bicycle. So it was, uh, it wasn't a total disappointment, but uh, it, it was a come down. But at least it rode. You're able to ride it places, right? I was able to ride it, yeah. Do you recall having other family members over, like grandparents or aunts and uncles, to the house at all for Christmas? Well, my grandparents were no longer living. And so, uh, yes, we did have some aunts and uncles who would celebrate with us. But largely, it was a circle of friends that uh, my family had that were more uh, likely to join us for 
Christmas dinner and um, even the preacher of our church was uh, a, a frequent dinner guest at our home. Nice. Was your mom a good cook? Seemed to me she was. She didn't claim to be, but uh, she always uh, made things taste uh, uh, pretty good to us. Oh, wonderful. Lucky, thank you for telling us about some of your memories about Christmas when you were a kid. But I want to ask you about when you went overseas to fight in World War II, you were a co-pilot on a B-17 bomber. So when you were over in Europe, were you in Europe during a Christmas season? I was there in uh, for Christmas of 1943. Yeah, what was that like? How did you celebrate that? Didn't celebrate it, really. I was functioning as a squadron operations officer. We were not really, um, we didn't stand down for Christmas. We still flew raids. We still had missions. We uh, And as a operations officer, I was responsible for rehabilitating the airplanes to get them airworthy and, and combat ready as soon as we possibly could when we came back from a raid. So it was not, we, we did have some recognition of, of Christmas, of course. We, we had uh, Christmas dinner served in the mess hall. We also um, raised a few uh, at the officers club, a few glasses. So it wasn't completely ignored, but it was certainly not celebrated in any um, outlandish way or any large way because it was, uh, for all intents and purposes, just another workday for us. Yeah. We brought in some of the local children to show them what Christmas was like uh, on an air base and uh, had a Santa Claus for, for them and and gave them little gifts. So that, um, that cheered us up and cheered them up, I think, because uh, Christmas was pretty dismal for the local people as well. Yeah, when you say local, this was in England. Whereabouts in England was this? Thorpe Abbots was our base. And there were several smaller towns in the immediate vicinity, Dickelberg and Dis and Thorpe Abbots itself, which no longer exists as a town. But uh, it was a, originally a farming community, of course, and we took those over for as, as airfields. And they made airfields out of them. And that's that was the background for Thorpe Abbotts and the base that we flew from. Right. Now, did you get any care packages from home for Christmas? Did, did things arrive in the mail for the soldiers? They did, but with such irregularity, it was not reliable. They couldn't be assured that it would even get there by Christmas or six months later or several weeks later particularly if it was foodstuffs, if they sent uh, cakes or, or cookies, uh, things of that sort. Um, I think they got broken open and enjoyed by people in the interim more than the intended recipient. Oh, boy, I tell you. Did you feel particularly homesick at Christmas, or were you, did you, were you just so absorbed in doing your job and doing your mission? Basically, I was so focused on what I had to do and uh, trying to do it uh, as well as I possibly could that uh, I really didn't have much room for homesickness. 
no, no, you had to get the get your job done. Lucky when you got home and and you got married and you raised your family, do you have any any particular fond memories of Christmases when your kids were little? Well, you have a daughter, right? Yes, she received all of our attention and affection. And um, that uh, tends to spoil an only child, I think, because they they don't have to share anything with any siblings. And uh, that was just never the case in my immediate family. But when I was growing up, it was quite different. And I was accustomed to uh, vying for the privilege of licking the pan or the bowl that my mother was using to make the fruitcakes. <laughs> or uh, we fought like tigers to uh, uh, be the first to get to lick the bowl <laughs> or uh, the remains. Things like that were, were so much a part of my life that uh, when uh, I only had one child and, and we brought her up, we were trying desperately not to, to spoil her. Uh, and think that she was the only one. And so we arranged to have her uh, give gifts to other children who were less fortunate mm. and tried to impress upon her the importance of the fact that she wasn't the only one in the world. <laughs> well, that makes sense because when there is one child, it is easy to spoil them because they're, they're the focus, right? There's nothing else to focus on. Exactly. Yes. Well, Lucky, this has been a lot of fun speaking with you. Any opportunity I have to speak with you is great. And uh, you're a hero. You're a good friend. And thank you for sharing your, your Christmas memories from going back to 1920s and the Great Depression through the war and even more recent years. But thank you so much for speaking. And I hope you have a very, very Merry Christmas, Lucky. My same to you, Jim, and, and all your family. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Thank you, and God bless. Same to you. Perfect. You're an inspiration to me, Lucky. Thank you, Jim. Wow, those were great stories. I am so privileged to have been able to interview those folks and hear their stories about their childhood Christmases from around the world. I hope you enjoyed those stories as much as we did. But I do have one last story to share with you, and it's a story from my childhood and my favorite memory of Christmas. The year was 1966. I was eight years old. My family was preparing to go to church that evening for our Christmas Eve services, and there was a prediction of a rather significant snowstorm that night in New Jersey, in New York area. I was a little worried about our usual tradition being disrupted. The tradition was my grandmother and grandfather, they were my mother's parents, they usually came by on Christmas Eve. Their chauffeur was my Aunt Audrey, and the three of them would come up and spend Christmas Eve with us. It'd really be an evening of sitting around the bright lights and the fire in the fireplace and just chatting and having little hors d'oeuvres and things like that. It's just a special time. We were also joined by a close family friend named Margaret, 
Margaret would come up and she would usually bring a gift with her. At this point, I mean, I did believe in Santa Claus, but I also knew that people shared gifts with each other as well. Well, that evening we went to church and I knew at the time we got there that it had already started snowing. And I was really nervous that that evening was going to get foiled. I even thought maybe, maybe Santa Claus wouldn't be able to arrive himself. I remember myself thinking about the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer cartoon where Santa almost had to cancel Christmas because of a snowstorm. I thought, oh, no, this can't be happening. Anyway, when we got out of church, it had really started to snow hard. And we kind of skidded our way home, and I was really upset thinking that we just would spend it sort of alone, just the four of us, my parents and my brother and I. But much to my happiness, when we pulled in front of our house, I saw my aunt's 1966 Chevy in front of our house, and we walked into our living room, and they were sitting there already. They had let themselves in, and I was overjoyed to see them. You could smell the Christmas tree when you walked in the living room and see the lights and I smelled my grandfather's cigar. And right after that, our friend Margaret pulls up. She walks in the front door and dusts her feet off, takes her boots off. And then she presents me with a long rectangular box, all neatly wrapped in Christmas wrapping. When I anxiously tore off the wrappers, I found much to my joy, a brand new Yogi Bear stuffed animal. This is something really, really great because my old Yogi Bear had been pretty much torn to pieces. I'd had it so long. I loved this thing, but to be honest with you, my favorite part of the evening was just seeing the family there, have a glass of eggnog, some snacks, and hear all the stories from my, my loved ones. That night I went to bed. I, I could hardly sleep. And the next morning I woke to a beautiful, beautiful snowy seen out my window. And that day, I believe, we ventured down to my grandparents in Bloomfield, and there was a day of food and uh, fun and some more gifts and a lot of old Christmas music playing on my grandfather's phonograph. Anyway, that was a cherished memory of mine. I remember that so well, and I know my whole family had a wonderful Christmas that year, as we did pretty much every other Christmas. And that is my favorite Christmas memory as a child. And by the way, after all these years, I still have that Yogi Bear. His head has kind of fallen off. He's pretty ratty looking, but I still have him. So on behalf of Kelly and myself and Your History, Your Story, we want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Your History, Your Story. You can connect with us on Facebook and YouTube at Your History, Your Story, or on Instagram and Twitter at YHYS Podcast. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, comments, or a story to tell. Be well and God bless.